0: Now entering Nerdist.com.
1: Mission Log, A Roddenberry Star Trek Podcast, Episode 19. Tomorrow is Yesterday.
0: Coming to you from yesterday's tomorrow, it's another thrilling episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. In the
2: future, he's John Champion. And preceding the in time, he is Ken Ray. It's the show all about the deep meaning and messages in Star Trek. Are there morals and ethics on screen that help us understand the human condition? Or is it all just spaceships and green ladies? Today, we're looking at the one time the Enterprise went back in time and
0: changed history.
2: Or it didn't. Today, it's tomorrow, is yesterday, in which our 23rd century crew finds itself hanging out in swinging 1960s Earth.
0: Ah, hanging out over swinging 1960s Earth.
2: Hey, I I think that uh, the airbase, I think there were probably some swinging good times at that airbase. You know, if Kurt stuck around long enough, he might have uh, hit the office Christmas party. You never know.
0: (laughs) You know, there may have been some good times out on that airbase, but uh, the two things I would say are, first of all, I kind of doubt it. And second, <laughs> even if there were, um, they're not hanging out in those at all. It's just, It's get in, get out. Nobody gets hurt in theory.
2: Yeah, they're they're just yeah, a bunch of party poopers. They they could have stuck around. I don't know.
0: All I'm saying (laughs) is, you know, they weren't they weren't far from Woodstock. They weren't far from uh, you know a lot of a lot of really hip and happening stuff was going on in the 1960s, and the uh, crew of the Enterprise missed it all.
2: See, here's the thing: if I'd gone back to the 1960s, if I just woke up in you know the late 1960s, my first order of business: do a lot of shopping. Things were cheaper back then.
0: Well, except of course they don't really have money, right?
2: Yeah, well you know. But they got things they can trade, I'm sure. Yeah. The good uh, news is they
0: did they did stay away from the brown acid, which as we all know is like the is the chief takeaway from the nineteen sixties. Right. Exactly. That's what I remember and why well, remember. That's what I've heard. Please, yeah. please go ahead. I think you've got something you you know, I'm excited. You must have okay. so much uh trivia. Oh, for this episode, I'm really, lay it out, man. Just hit me with all of it.
2: (laughs) All right. Um, Set a stopwatch because it'll be over soon. Um, Here we go. Um, I I do have a little bit of trivia that we want to save, but really all we've got here is that it's an interesting bit of speculation that this story would have been the follow up to The Naked Time. So you remember how we discover that time warp at the end of the Naked Time? <laughs> they, they're kind of, oh, whoops! There's three days totally gone. Okay, let's get out of here. No, not even just
0: three days totally gone. They get they get back. The episode ends three days before the episode began.
2: Right, right, it, yeah, it's like if you're, you know, crossing right. the international dateline three times, you know. <laughs> but right. um, so th- th- the speculation that that time war that they experience somehow then leads them to, as they're going back to Earth, um, leads them into this now. I haven't found concrete evidence for that being the case. So if any of our listeners have the uh, the source for that, I would love to know. Um, all that I really found is that uh, Bob Justman, early in 1966 sent Gene Roddenberry a memo uh, basically outlining the story. And um, – He's going to say, hey, what if if the Enterprise finds itself uh, above 1960s Earth and things happen and they get discovered and they have to kind of fix history so that they don't destroy their own futures? And and then several, several months went by and Bob Justman kind of prodded Gene again and said, hey, remember that story idea that I had? Why don't we do something like this? And uh, even kicked around some title ideas like – Tomorrow Yesterday and another one All Our Yesterdays which actually became another episode of Star Trek so uh, um, this is the only kind of memo concrete stuff that I've found but if people have more like I said I, I would love to know because it is interesting speculation to get the idea that that time warp somehow led to this episode and it would have been a two-parter but Star Trek was not much for two-parters as we know that's it I, I, that's I, I tried so hard. I tried so hard. Do All you right. want to jump in here? Do you, well, uh, I actually
0: I did a tiny bit of digging because I had a feeling that uh, something like this was going to happen. You know what I love to do is find um is find like the hidden gems, the stars. Yes. In an episode, yes. and uh, yeah. Um, yeah, Roger Perry he plays uh, Captain John Christopher in this episode, who we will get to know in the recap in just a moment. Uh, still working well into the 21st century. Well, into the 21st century, excuse me, in a couple of movies of which um, I have never heard. And (laughs) it looks like in the early 90s, he was in a couple of Christmas movies of which I had also never heard. Now, Ed (laughs) Peck, who plays Colonel Fellini in this episode, is an actor who you will recognize, though you will never be able to figure out what you know him from.
2: I'm a big fan of Fellini.
0: (laughs) Not, well... Go okay. oh, different. Yeah, you're caught yeah. on. The, that's the character, not the one you're thinking. OK, so okay. I'm a fan of them both. Yeah. Ed Peck. Um, if you watched TVs or or, you know, uh, movies. Ever. Mm-hmm. But mostly in the 70s. Then you've seen this guy a million times. Um, All in the Family. Archie Bunker's Place. Benson. Heaven Can Wait. Mork and Mindy. Barney Miller. McMillan and Wife. Uh, the Incredible Hulk. Hong Kong Fui, Bullet. The Last Unicorn. I mean, this guy, uh, character, journeyman, Ed Peck, in wow. everything. And, and he will always be that guy that you will be like, what do I know him from? Well, the answer is everything. Now, sadly, um, Mr. Peck went on to his great reward in 1992. Though I like to think if there is an afterlife, and, you know, we all know, <laughs> <It's> <laughs> Dicey, I'm already, people are already firing up emails right now. I like to think if there is an afterlife <laughs> – um, that Ed Peck finally got a starring role, and uh, Carol O'Connor and Bill Bixby and DeForest Kelly and you know James Doohan and and a whole host of big names are playing extras and one shots on the Ed Peck show.
2: I think mean, that is a beautiful thought. Yeah, <laughs> and
0: and yeah.
2: trivial. <laughs> right, it is trivial, but well done, well done, your contribution to the week's trivia.
1: This week on the Ed Peck Show, guest stars Captain Kirk and Captain Christopher bring us a Fellini-esque tale of time travel. Let's let John tell us more.
2: Prologue. It's not the future, it's the present. Well, it's 1960-something. We're at an Air Force base, and a couple of officers are worried about a UFO that suddenly appears on radar. Jets are scrambled. That thing in the sky? It's the Enterprise. Enterprise. Act 1. On the bridge, we learn that the ship has been through a black star and had some bad gravitational mojo flinging around like a ragdoll. Systems are down, but the good news is we're in low Earth orbit. The bad news is Spock has figured out when we are. Those fighter jets from the base are chasing the Enterprise as it's trying to climb to a higher orbit. Those jets may have nukes. Kirk decides to use a tractor beam to at least slow it or minimize the threat. The beam starts to break up the airplane, and Kirk decides to have the pilot beamed aboard. Meet Captain John Christopher, who's a little jumpy at the whole experience. Kirk starts showing Christopher around. He's a little stunned. Women, aliens, turbolifts, the whole thing. Spock explains that the whole plan of showing Christopher around might be a bad idea. He could affect the future, thus putting their whole existence in jeopardy. Spock brings Christopher to Kirk's quarters, where... Side note, the computers are a little more flirty than usual. Kirk breaks the news to Christopher that they can't just send him back. This doesn't play too well. Spock even says, hey, he's not going to contribute much of anything in the future anyway. This doesn't go over too well either. After all, Christopher has a family. Scotty calls up that things are coming along with the engine repairs, but by the way, where are we going to go once everything is back online? Act 2. Spock has some new information for Kirk and their guest, but Christopher can't be found. He's out wandering around and decides to punch a crewman. He holds a phaser on the transporter chief, but Kirk tracks him down and punches him out cold. In sickbay, McCoy is just as concerned about the Enterprise crew being caught in the wrong time. Spock comes in with the news. Captain Christopher's son is an important figure in future history. Captain Christopher needs to go back and start contributing to the baby-making or something. Now the conundrum gets even more conundrum-y. Spock says Captain Christopher's plane crashed, which complicates how to get him back. Also, Christopher is taking pictures of the Enterprise before things got out of hand. Those pictures are probably back at the base by now. Kirk hatches a plan. They've got to go back to the base and retrieve those pictures and the tape of Christopher's conversation. Kirk and Sulu beam down and start looking for what they need. But before long, security shows up. The officer stops the two at gunpoint and takes all their hardware, communicators, etc. Spock, on board the Enterprise, sends an emergency signal to Kirk's communicator, which is now in the hands of that security officer. He finds himself now beaming up, and Kirk reports back that there's yet another uninvited guest in their midst. Act 3. The security guard will stay in the transporter room while Kirk and Sulu look for the rest of the records of the Enterprise and the Air Force base. More security officers show up, though, and Sulu manages to beam up while Kirk uses a brawl as a distraction. Too little too late, though. Kirk is caught, and now he's being interrogated by that security detail. On the Enterprise, Spock decides to mount a rescue operation, this time with Captain Christopher in tow to help find the captain. By the way, that other security officer is still hanging out in the transporter room. Fortunately, there's a soup vending hole in the bulkhead to keep him occupied. Down at the base, Sulu and Spock get to work rescuing Kirk with a few well-placed judo chops and Vulcan nerve pinches. Captain Christopher sees this as an opportunity, though, and he whips out a gun from one of the unconscious officers. He's staying on this planet in his own time if he has to use force to do it. Act 4. Captain Christopher is really fed up but Spock makes short work of him with another nerve pinch. He's just doling them out like candy in this episode. Finally, after many fits and starts, Spock can get to the task of planning a return to the 23rd century after leaving Captain Christopher behind. That whole gravitational mojo that got them there will probably work in reverse if we hurl the Enterprise toward the sun at full speed and then slingshot around it, or something like that. All Scotty has to do is slow down at the right moment. Time will start to go backwards, then forward. They don't want to end up too early or too late. If they time it right, Captain Christopher and the soup-eating security guard can be beamed back to a point right before they found themselves interloping in the first place. So really, the whole UFO incident and meeting ancient ancestors would have never happened. And that's pretty much how it happens. As the Enterprise whips around, Captain Christopher is beamed back into the cockpit of his jet a fraction of a second after he was first beamed up in the first place. Also, the soup gourmet is beamed back into his place. Now the Enterprise can very dramatically pick up speed and whisk forward into the future. Scotty puts on the brakes somewhere around, uh, well, Starfleet is back on the radio, which means they are back in their own time.
0: Hey, I got a question. Yeah, is that a sonic screwdriver that Kirk's using to break into stuff?
2: <laughs> it certainly is. I, I'm I'm certain of it. It is yeah. a very
0: wibbly wobbly, timey wimey episode. This one.
2: Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, Doctor Who had had been on the air in the UK what since 1962. I have no idea. Yeah, I, I don't, somewhere, I don't, yeah around there.
0: somewhere around there. But yeah, it's very much a it's very much a sonic screwdriver kind of thing.
2: Yeah, yeah. I like it. Yeah, I would add that prop to my collection. Totally, yeah. Yeah.
0: And they can look like anything, apparently, because really it looks like a film canister.
2: <laughs> right. But, yeah. but it
0: works like a sonic screwdriver, so that's kind of cool.
2: It does. I like it.
0: All right, so this was the other thing that you wanted to put in the trivia.
2: Yeah, well, so here's what's cool. You know, uh, what, what's your uh, favorite word that I introduced to you, Ken? Retcon. Yes, I'm about to retcon. <laughs> oh. I'm about to retcon your mind. All right. <laughs> Okay, so so here's the thing. The Enterprise ends up somewhere in the late 1960s and they're picking up radio signals from Earth and they hear a news broadcast saying next Wednesday, the first moonshot takes place. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And it, that helps them figure out, oh, well, wait, we didn't actually send man to the moon until sometime in the late 1960s. Well, to be more specific, Apollo 11 – now, of course, this episode aired in 1967, written sometime in late 66, aired in early 67. Apollo 11 launched – are you ready for this? Wednesday, July 16th, 1969. Mm-hmm. So with the beauty of retconning, you can say – that this happened sometime like during the week of the 10th of 1969. Okay, I, I think that's super cool. I think I think it's so
0: cool. That's the reason that we didn't put it in trivia.
2: So, uh, so yeah, what, what
0: right. happens is John and I argue about stuff before the show, and then we start <laughs> the show and we argue some more. Um, that was going to be in the trivia <laughs> bit, but but to me this is actually a very important thing that they did. And, of course, I mean it's kind of neat that it yeah, happened to be a Wednesday and it happened to be a Wednesday, and so, you know, ooh. But what I think is really cool is in 1967, we have not gone to the moon. There's a lot of Star Trek that's inaccessible to, to people of that time that's still inaccessible today. We can't teleport at this point. We can't we do you know warp drives at this point. We have not yet met aliens, darn it. Still not able to upload ourselves into robot bodies. I mean, there's so much stuff that's not accessible to us yet. But what's really cool... Is in 1967, you have this far future Captain Kirk listening to the radio, and and he hears that moonshot's going to go off next Wednesday. And Kirk says, in late 1960s, well, we didn't go to the moon until the late 1960s. I actually really appreciate this thing because this is a, a message to... To the to the viewing audience that all of this stuff that looks so far away, this, you know, this, you know, we've got teleporters and we've got we've got machines that can just, you know, dole out chicken soup at the drop of a hat. <laughs> um, you know, we've got we've got aliens, we've got we've got interstellar travel, we've got all this stuff. It all starts sometime in the next couple of years. It all starts with where you are right now, they say to the uh, to to the viewers, which I think which I honestly think makes even that bit of retcon um, much more than trivial.
2: That's that's beautiful, man. (laughs) I love that. That wasn't my idea. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, here's the thing. Anytime you do science fiction and you start talking about things that happen in the future that are Mm -hmm. much closer to the present, you know, oh, in the far off future of 1984, um, inevitably you get it wrong. Not this time. But not this day. They even they got, got, it got it down really, to the day really of the week. Right. Exactly.
0: Yeah. They got to <laughs> ballsy. Is what I was thinking actually when they said that. Because I mean, we yeah. all know there are any number of things that could have gone wrong that would have even just pushed it a year later, right? Or two right. years later. Or you know, God forbid, it could have pushed it. You know, a decade later. I mean, any number of things could have gone wrong. Um, well, and
2: I, I don't want to bum you out, but I, I will tell you something that did go wrong. Okay. And that is that uh, after this episode aired, and I, and I think it was actually the next day, um, that was the day that the uh, Saturn 1 vehicle, I, th- I think it was Apollo 3, later it was dubbed that, uh, exploded on the launch pad. Hmm. Well, and, I mean, uh, we lost Gus Grissom. Um, yeah. No, but I mean,
0: OK, not to minimize that at all. I mean, enough could have gone wrong that it would have pushed it out of the late 60s.
2: Well, and that's what I mean. I mean, when something like that happens, I mean, you think about the the space shuttle. The first time we had a shuttle accident, that whole thing was mothballed for a long time before we had our next mission. So, um, yeah, yeah, I, I thought that was interesting that we were still able to get the program back on track to land a man on the moon before the end of the decade, which we did. As long as we're, uh, well, it's not really retconning. Um, We we
0: seem to have still not decided what exactly, uh, whose banner we're flying under. According to Kirk in this episode, our authority is the United Earth Space Probe Agency. (laughs) Right, right. Which one assumes is a uh, division of space command. And yet when they they come back to (laughs) their present, they don't try to get in touch with the United Earth Space Probe Agency. They try to get in touch with Starfleet. And it struck me as kind of odd. It's like, you know, hey, look, it's another it's another bureaucracy of which we haven't heard. This this may actually be the uh, the people who were in charge of making sure that um, Harry Mudd had filed all of his papers properly.
2: Yeah, right. There are right. just so
0: I, many layers of bureaucracy, it turns out.
2: You have to assume that in the future, people's business cards are very, very long. <laughs> and it says – Starfleet Academy, a division of United Earth Space Probe Agency brought to you by monsanto and you know it just keeps going on and on and on and on
0: yeah. I, I assume they 're just you know sharing V cards on their pads,
2: oh of course they are yeah yeah hey um, I, I will say this though uh, for those of you who are watching along with us, um, you know Ken and I watch the show I- in different forms we 'll catch it on dvd we 'll catch it online. Uh, this is one that I watched on the Blu ray Masters, and I have to say watch this episode on blu-ray it looks so good and the effects are cleaned up beautifully um or the new effects rather that they created just look great the enterprise looks fantastic in the uh in earth orbit um so that is a way to watch this that i think you will really appreciate
0: actually i'm not sure unless you have old dvds or old uh, vhs tapes or unless you happen to be catching it on tv um, I think we're all watching the same thing now because Good. on I Netflix. So. I'm not watching. I'm not watching the Blu-ray, but I'm streaming it on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Or if you stream it online, um, I believe we're all getting the sort of remastered, updated. You know what have you? Because you're right. The Enterprise was gorgeous. Yeah, and and yeah. It, and it flies around the sun in a way that's not 100% believable. Because I never believed that we can actually get as close to the sun as we get in <laughs> any science fiction. But okay. <laughs> Um, yeah. But in a way that's it, it's beautiful and as believable as as flying around the sun could be.
2: Hey, uh, but you know what we have in the future that's very exciting. <laughs> soup for everybody. Chicken soup. <laughs> yeah. Now yeah. Th- this really struck a nerve with you, though. I did, well, it
0: didn't strike a nerve with me. This is another thing, sort of like the whole um, we're going to the moon soon. I mean, telling the telling <laughs> the audience, you know, we're going to the moon soon. You know, as they do in the beginning of this episode. Uh, there is something neat. So, when they, when they, uh, the security guard, the patrolman that they accidentally beam up, the second guy that they accidentally beam up, is sort of gobsmacked. He's dumbfounded, you know, by everything that he sees. And, uh, you know, in all honesty, we would like to think that we would be as cool as uh, Captain Christopher. Mm-hmm. He takes everything very much in stride. Uh, he's very cool. Yeah, he's yeah. very cool. Well, he's, well, I mean, he's he, he takes everything in stride. I will say right. um, the security guard, which is odd, because uh, he's supposed to be you know prepared for the unexpected. Uh, not so cool about the whole thing, and and so while he's being basically detained in the transporter room, um, the the transporter chief who looks like Sean Penn, kind yeah. of, he, yeah. Um, <laughs> the, the, the transporter dude says, "Are you hungry?" And uh, and and the security guy says, "Yes." And the guy says, what do you want? And he says, chicken soup. And boom, he pushes a button and there's chicken soup. And it's kind of neat because, again, it's another one of those things that makes the future a little bit more accessible. And it also handles some of the issues that we have in that day. I mean, we're starting to – in the late 1960s to early 1970s, we're starting to wake up to the fact that there is a world outside of our own here in the States – I mean, there's Mm -hmm. starting to be concern about overpopulation. There's starting to be concern about um, hunger or famine. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's kind of a neat little message to say in the future, getting what you need will be as simple as knowing what you need. You know, I mean, it's just I mean, the food's not really going to be an issue. The things are not going to be an issue. Now, on the one hand, that could lead to a really incredibly materialistic society. But hopefully that's not what we use it for. It's like, you know, would you like would you like some soup? No, I'd like a mink coat. In fact, I'd like 20. You know, I mean, <laughs> hopefully. We're not doing that kind of thing. Um, at the same time, you do have to – I mean, it's kind of lucky that uh, the Sean Penn lookalike had the card for chicken soup. Right there with
2: him. Well, true, yeah. He didn't even yeah. push
0: anything. It was just like, you know – he just you know slides in this card and out comes chicken soup. I mean, you know, it would have been maybe kind of embarrassing if he had been like, "Are you hungry? Yeah, what do you want? I'd love chicken soup. Ah, how about veal uh, piccata? I got a card here for veal piccata. I've got um, I got a card here for pizza. You like pizza? <laughs> right. It's like he's playing Deal a Meal on the yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> on the uh, in the transporter room. Something that you mentioned that I, I just wanted to follow up on is you mentioned Captain. Christopher. And to me, I I liked him in the same way that I liked uh, Gary Mitchell in uh, Where No Man Has Gone Before, because he's very comfortable in himself. He's very comfortable in his character. And he sort of takes to the Enterprise very well, which isn't, I think, that hard to believe. He's a military guy. He's on a ship. The ship has a structure as well. He can kind of wrap his mind around it. And his, his attempts to escape seem believable he's not like a crazy person just trying to break out for the sake of breaking out right. um so i, I really like this character i thought he grounded it and um that's what's cool about when science fiction can do that when y- you create a character who gets to be a proxy for us well you know? yeah except i mean again which one is
0: actually the proxy for us would it be the the air force captain Or would it be the bumbling security guard?
2: Well, I guess it all depends on how much you like soup. Well, no,
0: not just that. I mean, which one is actually a proxy for who we are? I mean, there's a weird – There's the the one thing that I didn't understand is uh, in this push-button future, uh, Kirk is convinced that uh, Christopher couldn't hack it, that he couldn't handle it. Now, part of that is because he's got a family that he's leaving behind. But the other part of it seems to be – I mean, they say, oh, well, he could be retrained. He could learn. What? (laughs) <laughs> he could, <laughs> right, he could learn to push a button. I mean, so much has gotten so much easier uh, in the 23rd century than it is in the century that he lives in currently. And yet, um, and yet, uh, Kirk is just you know convinced that he couldn't, that he he oh there's he could never he could never grasp the complexities of being beamed from place to place. Yeah, e- even though it's already happened to him. I uh, I'm back and forth on Christopher. Honestly, I, I think hmm. I, as much as I don't want this to be the case. I think the uh, security guard is, is much more like uh, what most of us would be uh, were we beamed up to, a, uh, to the Enterprise.
2: Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's really hard to say. I, mean, I, I think we would all be kind of fascinated by it first. But then as kind of the reality sets in, uh, and particularly with what Captain Christopher is facing, losing his family and all of that, then, it, then you're going to go nuts. Then you can't handle it. But um I, I don't know, I, I like to think that he he could be retrained. He's a smart guy he's you know you sure you push different buttons in a jet than you do on a starship, but <laughs> you know he's he's not a dumb guy, uh, but we go a different direction with the story, and we don't have to really face that him being caught out of time.
1: The worst part about this episode. I now have the song If I Could Turn Back Time by Cher stuck in my circuits. My only consolation. Now you do as well.
2: So, once again, as we are wont to do on the mission log, we like to dig deep and try to figure out what the morals and messages might be in any given episode of Star Trek. And um, I think this one is a little difficult for that, Ken. Um, it, it's a great adventure story. It's a great kind of what if story. Um, but there, there aren't kind of the major messages that hit you over the head. But one of the things that I like about this, uh, that anytime you present something where you have kind of an omnipotent look at somebody's life, you realize that you, know, you can never really be truly aware of all the consequences of our actions. You know this kind of story, or even like a Christmas Carol, lets you step outside of yourself a little bit and and get a shot of the big picture of your your time, your life. And I like to think that maybe that's why we're so fascinated by time travel stories, like like Back to the Future. You know, you take Marty McFly and you pull him out of his life and show him this huge, sweeping big picture of his family his future, everything, because in real life, you know, you can't just sort of skip ahead to the end of the book, figure out how it's going to play out and then go back and fix all of those things that you want to fix. So to me, the the appeal of a time travel story is shall I say timeless in that respect. <laughs>
0: you know? Well, I, I'll tell you, you mentioned a Christmas carol. What I thought of was it's a wonderful life, except what I really thought of was the Saturday night live. I believe it was Saturday night live. A version of It's a Wonderful Life that they did where they took the George Bailey character out of time. Oh, yes. And everything yes. was actually better right. for everybody right. with, without right. George Bailey there. Um, Spock really needs to learn how to deal with people or at the very least with humans because there's like, there's this horrible <laughs> thing that he does where, where he – I mean, and you mentioned it in the recap where it's like, yeah, well, you, you know, John Christopher really doesn't do anything doesn't accomplish anything. It'll be fine if he just disappears off the planet. Yeah. Um, it reminded me of a, of a line from Network. Uh, nobody particularly cared to hear that his life was utterly valueless, which yeah. is pretty
2: much yeah. Yeah. what yeah.
0: Spock says. Of course, you know if we just have children, then everything will be fine. Right. <laughs> because well, that, well, that ends up being the redeeming feature for, for John Christopher is the fact that his kid goes on to do something famous. His kid, who, by the way, has not been born at that point.
2: Yeah, well, and and that it it shows Spock being very short-sighted, which which seems a very unSpock-like thing to do. To realize that, well, every action, every motion, every person that you encounter, it it all has an effect. Yeah, and you know, I know that you like uh, the butterfly effect, um, and that's exactly what we have going on here. If you if you move one little thing, you know, that one blade of grass or Mm -hmm. whatever, then you can affect history. Um, I, to be clear, I like the idea
0: of the butterfly effect. I've not seen the movie. If you want, oh, right, to see, right, if right. you want to see a good uh, representation of that kind of thing, to me, one of the best ones in a while is uh, Looper. Um, mm-hmm. And what's really great is they don't even they don't uh, they don't even seem to realize in Looper. I don't want to ruin anything for anybody if you haven't seen it, but they don't even seem to realize in Looper that time is changing. We're seeing yeah. this character existing in this one time period but he is both his younger self and his older self and when something happens to his younger self it is automatically part of his older self but there's no like wait a minute something's changed or there's no you know why is this this way now it's just sort of like i mean it's the second it happens it's always been right which i mean would have been a very difficult thing to (laughs) portray on Star Trek, but it's also kind of an interesting idea. Maybe just the fact that they did this did change everything in the past, and they're and they're 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 going through trying to guard against changing anything. But the problem is, anything that they're trying to guard against changing would have changed over 200 years ago. <laughs>
2: oh, you're blowing my mind, <laughs> uh, dude. Time travel hurts.
0: It, <laughs> it it's it, it's wibbly wobbly. Uh,
2: it is. Yeah, it is. Well, but uh, okay. so there's kind of one of the problems with this is is that we are uh, as the viewing audience, we are totally on board with Kirk and the crew of the Enterprise and this future of Star Trek. They are they're the good guys. Mm -hmm. They're they're the heroes. And and we assume that what they are doing is correct, Um, (laughs) you know, but but there is a huge self-serving thing there. You know, if you would really be unaware of the effect that you are having on time, unaware of the effect that you're having on history, um, who's to say that they are correct, that they are right? This is kind of one of those might makes right things. They they're holding the deck of cards. They, They have the power and they've got the technology behind them to actually solve this and fix it, but fix it to their liking. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you
0: know <laughs> well i mean it, it, the good news is they're at least not fixing it to their liking i mean kirk or anybody on the enterprise with access to the teleporter actually or to the transporter room could have beamed down you know uh, put a significant amount of capital into the bank account of their great 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 ancestor right and then you know uh, beamed back up and been treated like a king when they got to the Enterprise because of whatever they had, you know, set in motion. So, I mean, the good news is they're at the very least not trying to change it in any way. But again, you're right. That's very self-serving because we don't know that we don't know that their presence 200 years earlier or 250 years earlier or however much earlier it is. They don't know that their presence wouldn't have actually ushered in an entirely new era in uh, in 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 all of history, uh, based yeah. on the fact that we can actually see where we're going instead of having to stumble through it.
2: Well, and, and it's a huge gamble to just say that. Uh, well, if we put these guys back where they came from, maybe they'll forget what happened because the events haven't taken place yet. No, well,
0: that that are we gonna? Yeah. We can't do that yet. We have to get to that in a
2: minute. I agree. Boy, right. That's a, that's, a, <laughs> yeah, that's at yeah. the
0: end and okay. and. And I got plenty of fight in me for that one. So okay,
2: but this is it is one of those examples, though, of the reset button, which you know yeah. we, we don't want to step out of the timeline again here. But uh, science fiction, and especially Star Trek, comes under fire a lot for using the reset button. You know, we're, we're doing time travel; all these things with huge consequences take place, um, but then we hit the reset button because oh, it's just time travel. We, we, we can change it. We can fix it and make it the way we wanted it to end up anyway.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, okay, so I guess we're going to go ahead and do it anyway. Right. So they beam the two guys from the Air Force base back, and they beam them back to a time where before uh, – they beam them back to a time before they actually beamed up to the Enterprise. They beam them basically to the exact moment they were beamed up to the Enterprise. Thus, they never actually went on board the Enterprise. Thus – there's nothing for them to forget because it never happened is how yeah. they explain it in star Trek. Here's the problem. If you take the enterprise back 200 years, well then they are now 200 years before the enterprise was even invented by the logic that saves them at the end of this episode. They, they, they the enterprise should just crash <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Should just crash the second it gets there because everybody should be like, wait a minute. Uh, starships won't even be invented for 200 years. I don't know how to fly this. And, you know, pretty much uh, you end up with a um, with a sort of a watchman thing, except it really is coming from the sky as opposed to just pretending to be right. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Time travel hurts, especially when you try to be logical about it.
2: (laughs) Uh, So what else have you got for us? Uh, Ken, does your computer talk to you?
0: Uh, Well, (laughs) not so as anybody else can hear. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I'm that guy, you know, sometimes I wish I weren't that guy. It's the way I was raised. It's the people I hang out with. I, you know, sexism just shows up.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um. There's a bit of Don Draper sexism in this episode. I'm not trying to fault it. It's just there. Uh, the computer was more or less reprogrammed on Signet 14, Um. a female dominated society on which the enterprise was uh, repaired. You didn't actually make much of this in the recap, but right. Signet 14, uh, the women who run Signet 14, decided that the Enterprise computer didn't have enough personality, so they gave it a personality. <laughs> and it's a girl. And so it's funny. Um, uh, like it's flirting with Kirk. It, it calls him dear at the end of everything. And by the way, it sounds kind of sexy.
2: <laughs> I, oh, I mean, yeah. oh, believe
0: yeah. If I could get my computer to talk to me that way, I might. <laughs> um, but it's too affectionate as far as Kirk is concerned because you know how women are. And uh, it has an annoying tendency to giggle, according to Spock, because you know how women are. And it's really interesting this, this, you know, I I have no emotion. I have no anything. Uh, Spock is annoyed by the computer. If the computer still does what the computer should do, Spock really shouldn't care. But, you know, there's sort of a sort of a Don Draper sexism going on. Now, I don't fault Star Trek for it necessarily because it's definitely a product of its time. This episode is a product of its time, but it's kind of a stark contrast to what we would expect to see on the screen today unless you're doing a set piece like Mad Men. Um, we yeah. have women running companies at this point. We have women in high levels of government. And you get the impression that Kirk would still expect them to fetch him a cup of coffee when he asked for one. Right. From this episode. Now – is it a message? No. Is it a moral? No. It's interesting to point out where we were as opposed to where we are today because seriously, try writing that today and, yeah. and getting away with it.
2: But see, I, I like to think that it, it, this is probably a very real world problem, though, for right now. That, uh, it, you know, some group of software engineers at Apple, when they came up with Siri and uh, the other voices that are in the Mac and all of this stuff—they they, they had to sit there and they go, okay, well, we need this to be personable enough that people aren't kind of weirded out by it or bored by it or whatever. Okay, well, well, that's friendly. Oh, but if we do that, that's going to be too sexy. We need to scale back on that. So I, I and I feel like this is something that will continue to come up and will continue to be a problem the more that voice becomes a primary mode of interaction with your. Technology, You know, and and we will be able to program that and we'll be able to say, well, today I want the kind of dry sounding, uh, you you know, maybe the male English butler type as my computer voice. But tomorrow I want the friendly, flirty female voice, you know.
0: Well, correct me if I'm wrong. Siri's a dude in the UK, isn't he? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, I mean, Uh, it's also – I mean, this this depends sort of on where you are or where you're coming from. But mm -hmm. – Yeah, one hopes that that's that's an issue that will be uh, sort of hammered out at some point. There's a difference, though, I think – yes, there are people working on it, but I don't think they're just automatically going to make it comical or automatically make it too affectionate. You're right. We would be the ones to hopefully guide that a bit. Um, Hopefully, too, this is something that's solved in the future. In fact, if anybody in the future is listening and wants to send a message back to the past, uh, please do so. We would love to hear from you.
1: Time travel is one of the trickiest tricks in science fiction. Done well, it can create endless debates on ethics and logic. Done poorly, you just wish you had your time back. So how is it done on Tomorrow is Yesterday?
0: Well, it's that part of the uh, show where we wrap up the show, and we usually like to call this something like uh, the part of the show where we wrap up the show. Um, it may take a little longer this time than it does normally because uh, I think John, you and I may be in a bit of disagreement about this episode. Um, start with whether or not this episode holds
2: up. Uh, I say yes because you know. Here's the thing: to me, this is this is an early attempt at at what we like about time travel. I mean, when it comes to science fiction, time travel is kind of one of my favorite sub genres, Mm -hmm. Um, whether it is back to the future or um, well, butterfly effect. Hell, even the, uh, Oh, what was that movie? The Philadelphia experiment. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Stuff like that. So I'm immediately drawn to this anyway. And I like all of those tropes of having to, fix the past to fix the future and the, the fish out of water, both, you know, our heroes from the 23rd century uh, out of place on earth and out of place with that technology. And then the proxy for us being the fish out of water on the enterprise and then that kind of technology. So, so much about this is sort of appeals to me as a storytelling thing. Um, I I think it's a well produced episode too. I think it um, whether or not it's Blu-ray I think it's a good looking episode. I think a lot of the shots on the bridge are shot very nice. Um, The effects of course look even better on Blu-ray. So this is one that I do not mind watching over and over again. It's probably not my favorite Star Trek episode of all time. It's definitely not that. Um, But I really do like it. And I do think that it holds up. And for other people who are into a little timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbly in their sci-fi, uh, I would give this one to him without question. Now, the ending, okay, we have to really accept the idea that when it came to speculative fiction in the 60s, our kind of best guesses about how time travel plays out and what effects really do happen of course, this is all speculative, um, are not going to be as sophisticated as what we write now. You know, it it won't be as sophisticated as Looper or Back to the Future or something like that. But I'm kind of okay with that, um, just given when this was created. Okay, so
0: you're, you're willing to say yes, if you're also willing to go back and watch it as if you've never seen anything time travel before.
2: Um, I'm willing to say yes, if you can watch it in the context from which it was produced. Mm. I I think that there's other time travel that's very good that's, that's even better than this, but I still think this is a lot of fun. So I'm I think okay it, it. I, you see. I think it's
0: fun if you're already a Star Trek fan. If you're a science fiction fan and you're not a Star Trek fan, first of all, I don't understand. But second, <laughs> if you're a science fiction fan and have like you know done a lot of reading about time travel, or done a lot of reading of novels about time travel, or seen a lot of time travel movies, but you you not really glommed onto Star Trek, you're going to see this as Fisher Price. It's 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 a little too simple in its in its treatment of time travel to me. Uh, starting with the captain of the Enterprise, really has no clue why he shouldn't show somebody from two hundred years ago around the future. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> he's like, "Hey, don't worry about it. You'll be fine. Come on, let me show you a bunch of stuff. I think you'll find it pretty neat." And then Spock's like, "Uh, you, maybe you shouldn't show him that." Oh, you're right. Now we can't take him home. I mean, <laughs> he's like, that can't even. Think. He's like, a, he's like a heavy from a gangster movie who's not thinking about everything. He is Frank Pentangeli. To 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 Michael Corleone. Right. Frank just wants <laughs> to go in and like beat people up and kill them, And Michael's like, y- you really aren't thinking more than two steps ahead. and 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 Kirk is not thinking more than two steps ahead in this episode, which which that kind of bothers me. And then there's the reset button at the end. I mean, there's the there's the whole. We're not going to worry about the consequences of time travel because we are automatically going to be able to fix it. Right. And right. and okay, if I can do what you're doing and go back to nineteen sixty seven and and watch it then when there's probably there's been some great, you know, science fiction written about time travel, but there hasn't been nearly as much, you know, presented on television or in movies, at least not well, not intelligently, then maybe I can get excited about this episode. I think it really wants to be a mind bleepery episode. Um mm-hmm. but if you've been fed on a diet of Star Trek four and the Back to the Future trilogy and the several Terminator incarnations and Quantum Leap and the Butterfly Effect, as we mentioned, and Time Bandits and Somewhere in Time and Looper, then this this episode leaves you flat. And I would say that all of those, every one of those that I just named, I'm not overly familiar with Quantum Leap and I haven't seen the Butterfly Effect. The rest of those things, though, are fantastic treatments of time travel that do actually kind of consider the ramifications in ways that are better than I uh, know. Don't worry about it. It'll be cool. We'll just drop you off exactly when you are <laughs> <laughs> and it'll be like this whole thing never happened because for you it won't have. But the enterprise still remembers and everybody on the enterprise still remembers. I mean it's kind of fun to think about, okay, what would I do in that situation? I guess maybe that makes it worth it, but you have to, you have to be able to relatively easily able to look past – Uh, The inconsistencies on what we've accepted as far as time travel fiction and that, you know, that sort of troubles me. Plus, I talked to a couple of scientists earlier this summer and they say there is absolutely no way that slingshotting around the sun is going to send you forward or back 200 years in time. But, you know, that I can even that I can even let go of. It's just to tell me a story for an hour that in the end will literally have absolutely no consequence whatsoever. uh, That kind of was a letdown for me.
2: Well, that, that That is frustrating, but we'll, we'll call it a split on that. But I think more right. importantly now, what – please, pray tell, what is the message here?
0: Well, if you go 200 years into the past, try not to screw anything up. <laughs> <laughs> I would say
2: that's, yeah. a, that's
0: a chief moral right there. Or yeah. maybe, maybe a bigger moral would be try not to go 200 years into the past.
2: Well, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, although yeah, maybe all got. a lot of fun could be had in the uh, – early 19th century i don't know um no, if, uh, but um, yeah if you wanna... this episode is it's an ethical dilemma it's not a moral one
0: yeah so then if you want to i mean if you want to go ahead and try to pull something out of it what would you do what would you have done in that situation let's let's make you who do you want to be in this do you want to be uh captain christopher or captain kirk
2: uh well well kirk i i think christopher is kind of the easy one here because i i agree and i understand christopher's motivations oh, you know no. he, he he's not going to give up his family he's going to try you know he, he's a military trained man so he is trying to do everything that he understands from his training which is to get out of what is potentially you know enemy territory at this point people who are going to mess with your life right. and get back to base you know so i, I get it i get him Kirk is the one here ultimately has to make the decision. He's being presented with the facts from Spock as he does. He's being presented with kind of the human toll from McCoy, which is what he does. And then ultimately he has to make a decision to say, here's what we do with captain Christopher. Here's what we do with the security guard, Fellini. Um, no, that's not Fellini. Fellini Oh, I'm sorry. That's not Fellini. Yeah. Yeah, Fellini was the other security guy. Yeah. Um, uh, doing the interrogation. um, so he has to decide what will happen. And I, I, I think the the risk is still too great to assume, well, if we beam this guy back at exactly the right moment, which probably won't work anyway, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> I think at a certain point you would have to trust Captain Christopher and just say, look, we, we should have sent this guy back a long time ago. And people might think he's crazy, but. He is smart enough that he could probably weather that. We already said that, um, you know, at this time in history, we're chalking up UFOs as weather balloons and sunspots and and blah, blah, blah. So he might face a little bit of a problem getting over that and explaining the time that was lost um, while he was on board the Enterprise. But I, I think it's too risky to just start beaming people around. I think the priority is to get back home and to just get these people off your ship as soon as possible.
0: See, I think if I'm Kirk, the first Mm -hmm. thing
2: I do is try
0: um, two words on Captain Christopher. Green women. (laughs) (laughs) Now, if that doesn't work, I don't know what you do at that point. I'm actually sort of more curious and I kind of wish, you know, doing the whole retcon thing. I, I, I would like to know what, the enterprise would have done had they not been able to get back to their own time which which is incredibly easy by the way yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, and, yeah. i'm wondering too because because uh, we see the bridge really gets thrown around a lot during mm. that time travel part i i didn't hear them warn the other 423 people on the
2: enterprise
0: <laughs> by the way uh we're going to hit a little turbulence So you might want to strap in. Otherwise, we're going to be scraping you off the wall at some point.
2: Bottles are flying around (laughs) uh, sick bay. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, It's really just it's really terrible.
0: Um, I would actually be curious. I I, I found myself most intrigued by what would they have done had they not been able to get back into their own time? Like, I mean, we know we know that there's Vulcan. I mean, we know that there are a number of places that are settled, and we also know that there are a number of M-class planets that they could just go and settle. I mean, it ends up being a bit like uh, you know, sort of the reimagined Battlestar Galactica from, uh, right, right. from, from sci-fi a few years ago. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's, it, it's tough to know what you would actually do in that situation, but uh, thankfully we end up not even having to worry about it because now, the whole thing never happened.
2: Now if you were Captain Christopher, would you want to stay? Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I'm sorry, I not to mean I, I would too. this yeah.
0: is this is something uh, thankfully my um uh my my significant other doesn't tend to listen to this show. <laughs> I I have pretty much warned everybody that I've ever been in a relationship with that if mm-hmm. the aliens land, I'm hopping on. I'm hopping on board the ship. <laughs> it's no <laughs> nothing personal. It's not that I don't love you. It's just I would like to see other planets um and it feels like you know aliens landing is kind of my only chance so yeah i think if i were captain christopher i probably would have you know hopefully i married a good woman who is going to be able to take care of my children raise them properly i know i've got a pension coming from uh the usaf (laughs) i'll assume that everything's going to be okay i'm trekking across the stars buddy that would be me that's which i guess is terrible that's terrible it's not you, John. It's me. I just okay. need to see other star systems. I mean, you know, anybody who I know who's listening, it's not you. It's me. Okay. I, yeah, go. yeah I'm, I'm, I'm going on board. Hey, I mentioned earlier that, um, you know, if you're listening from the future, we would love to hear from you. Tell you what, if you're listening from today, we would love to hear from you, too. And if you're listening from yesterday, don't do anything because seriously, you're going to screw everything up for me and John. Yeah. I'll tell you what you can do though. Uh you can punch us into Facebook. Facebook.com slash mission log pod is the way to get in touch with us. Or if you're on Twitter, if you're a Twitter type, uh at mission log pod is a good way to get in touch with us. You can also talk to us on Skype. Mission Log Pod is our handle there, or if you want to pick up the uh phone or whatever passes for a phone in your time and give us a call, you can do that too, 323-522-5641. Three two three five two two five six four one. We may use what you say on a future episode of Mission Log.
2: Hey everybody! Uh, next week it may just be me if uh, Ken gets whisked away by aliens and finds himself in a future time. But uh, at the very least, you'll be able to hear at least one of us talk about court martial.
1: Some of the music for the Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com, and from the album Messages, by Key Theory, free to download at theory.com Assuming we don't stumble 200 years into the past and ruin everything for everybody for all time, we will talk again next week, whenever that ends up being... And transmission now leaving Nerdist.com.